Emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? Come on. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Welcome to the Disney Guys Uncensored. This is episode 163, recorded on Tuesday, December 13th, 2022. We are your hosts, Guy, Tim, and Bob. On tonight's episode, we talk about the nine things we think Disney does right. The big question for this episode, can we sustain an entire episode of positivity? Stay tuned. You're about to find out. Tim, you got any news for us today? couple stories. Uh, big story this week for both Disney and everyone else. Avatar 2, the long-awaited sequel to Avatar, finally hits theaters this Friday. It's been screening for the press. Uh, initial reviews are overwhelmingly positive. I'm seeing a lot of reviews that are saying, looks like James Cameron has done it again. Um, I've seen serious film critics say this quite possibly is the best modern movie ever made. Uh, it already has the global Golden Globe nominee for Best Dramatic Picture before a single person has paid to see this film. Um, this movie is three hours in 10 minutes of IMAX 3D, a format that has really fallen out of popularity, and uh, but also a format that Cameron has really pushed um, and kind of invented and uh, yeah, it, it, from all accounts, it sounds like he's done again. I know I will be making the trek up to Providence to the uh, that's nearest IMAX 3D theater for me to see this in the format um, that 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 Cameron wants people to see it in. I'm incredibly excited. Also, big Avatar story. Uh, rumor has it uh, Cameron and Iger have sat down and talked about updating or possibly kind of doing what Star Tours. The adventure continues with Avatar Flight of Passage, and the rumor is, is Iger is uh, receptive to this idea. So in the next couple of years, we could see uh, Flight of Passage getting some new scenes or possibly rotating scenes. Uh, as long, Also, the, the rumor is uh, upgraded projection technology, which is crazy because that is already a 16K screen. Uh, I'm not sure how much more advanced those projections could be guys are you uh excited for avatar you're gonna go try to see this film in theaters so i'm definitely gonna check this out when it comes to theaters i'm a huge cameron fan always love this stuff um i'm probably one of the only people out there though who thinks that this uh film is going to kind of underperform at the box office um i still think it's going to be one of the top movies of this year and next year um, I just don't think movies are, you know, gross what they used to, you know, post-COVID. Um, we'll see. I'm usually wrong about these things, so I wouldn't be shocked if I am right now. Um, I, it looks like a great movie. Um, we'll just see kind of what happens. Bob, you got any thoughts on this one? I think the comp you need to look at is Top Gun and how Maverick performed. Maverick was great. I loved it. I will freely admit I thought it was better than Top Gun. I think if this movie is as good as people are saying it is currently, then you'll have this movie will have legs. I think my concern is there's a huge portion 
of the quote unquote nerd community that is already pre-hating this movie because they think the first one gets kind of a lot more credit than it should. Uh, we've talked about the economics of Avatar and how much money it did and how it is admittedly, as much as we are all fans of it, kind of a hollow experience at this point. It's kind of just, you know, spectacle. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if this one is at a Golden Globe nomination for Best Dramatic Pictures. Nothing to sneeze at, whether you care about the Hollywood Foreign Press or not. That is a huge deal. A movie like this does get nominated. But Top Gun Maverick also got nominated. So um, I consider Top Gun Maverick the high point of movie. And then Black Panther Wakanda Forever as the next, probably those two movies. If Avatar's in that wheelhouse of good, then I'll be happy with it regardless. Yeah, box office was exactly uh, where I went, was Top Gun also. I, I see this following very similar model. Uh, Cameron is very similar to Tom Cruise in his approach to movies and theaters and stuff. I think we won't see this on Disney Plus for a very, very long time. And I fully expect this to be like Top Gun, where it stays in the theaters for six or eight months, as long as there are still mm -hmm. groups of people going to see it. Because with the post-COVID box office, there just aren't as many films coming in and staying in theaters. So there's more screens available. So theaters are happy to keep showing movies. Uh, so yep. you end up with a movie that is attracting people like Top Gun, like The Batman, where they get these very long tales where week over week they still do you know, low millions, high hundred thousands right. for months at a time, which ends up with these massive box office numbers. Plus, this is going to be a, a film that does buku numbers in foreign markets. We're going to see yeah, gigantic sure. European numbers, gigantic Asian numbers. Uh, if this movie does end up showing in China in some form, we are yeah. going to see crazy numbers. I mean, yeah. Avatar was released several times during the pandemic exclusively in China uh, and did crazy numbers there. So, uh, yeah, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, I think you're out of your mind there, guy. I think this is going to be a box office yeah. bonanza. Tim, um, and in terms of ticket sales for me, though, when you look at the premium price of, of IMAX 3D, um, I think Ant-Man is the next movie due out that would even be an IMAX movie. Legitimately, that would take screens away from Avatar. And that doesn't come out the middle of February. So you're looking at a solid eight to ten weeks of nothing but Avatar probably playing at premium format cinema. So I, I don't see this having a problem making money. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And uh, there are some numbers that say this movie needs due, like, billion to break even which is a first ever for a movie uh but i i think it won't have any problem doing that uh, another little piece of avatar news in the parks uh currently the tree of life awakenings at animal kingdom starting uh yesterday uh is now uh, an avatar themed show uh it will run uh for a limited time they have not given an end date i'm guessing that'll be for at least uh, through the end of the holiday season, probably ends up time in January or February. Uh, I did catch a video of that first performance that last night looks really, really cool. Uh, and I mean, anything they project on that tree looks awesome. And this new Avatar show looks really, really awesome. Uh, 
DuckTales World Showcase Adventure, something we brought up last uh, two weeks ago in our Things Disney Does Wrong, the kind of interstitial, smaller experiences to take people away, kind of move crowds around and get them out of those big uh, attractions and those long waits, is finally, after I think three years of delays, if not more, uh, finally uh, debuting on December 16th this week in the World Showcase. So that should be awesome. Um, really good to have a real uh, attraction scavenger hunt style thing for the kids rather than just the little uh, kid spots at uh, those World Showcase places where the whole family can kind of get into a fun activity that doesn't involve waiting in lines and uh, can be done right there on the smartphone. Uh, also in Epcot news, Tafiti is now complete for uh, Moana, the journey of water. Uh, it can be seen over the construction walls. Uh, all the press, uh, Disney you know, celebrated this big milestone for journey of water, but reiterated, it still is shooting for a late 2023 release date. Some of the photos they showed of that Tafiti statue, a lot of that rock work that was just skeletons or um, rebar and sprayed concrete is already shaping up to look like, you know, real Disney fake rocks. I am shocked that this still has more than a year to go before they see this thing opening. I still think they're trying to figure out what the hell it is because they haven't told us still <laughs> what this attraction is. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, right now it is called the, uh, the Moana Journey of Water, and it is a giant Tafiti statue and some fake rocks. Uh, nothing that looks like it could involve water yet uh, at all. Uh, and the last news story for this week is the Universal Great Movie Escape is now open. Uh, if you guys are longtime listeners of the show, you'll remember we blue-skied uh, what to do with the former NBA experience uh, slash Disney Quest kind of area over at Disney Springs and kind of all agreed the best thing would be very heavily themed ultra premium escape rooms. And uh, Universal has uh, beat Disney to punch. They must listen to our show more than Disney does and uh, brought this to, to Universal Orlando. Uh, it, they said there will be rotating themes, but the first two are Jurassic Park and Back to the Future. Uh, I've seen some uh, early uh, reviews from from different influencers and theme park reporters, including a, a person I'm a big fan of, Brooke McDonald, who does some great on-the-ground reporting. Uh, these look awesome, uh, so much more than like your escape room at your local mall or, or tourist area. These look like fully, um, you know, imagineered, universal, creative out, uh, you know, super uh, in-depth experiences. Uh, they are an additional cost uh, add-on to your Universal Park ticket, but totally looks worth it. Uh, you can either do it as an individual or for what was a pretty reasonable price uh, pay to uh, get the whole experience private for up to eight people uh, and uh, definitely something that I am looking to do next time I am in the Orlando area. Uh, hopefully Disney takes this as a cue and uh, tries to do something like this, uh, hopefully at Disney Springs in some of that that space that they have, because this really looks like something that's worthwhile. It looks extremely, extremely cool. 
Well, Tim, this is one of those premium experiences that people would pay for and not be concerned about the fact that they're paying for it. And I think yeah. that's the key. I mean, Disney's big on premium experiences. This is a market that legitimately people would pay to do this. And we know the NBA experience building is massive. They could do three or four rooms in that, five rooms even. It would be wild. I really hope this does well to kind of get the proverbial ball rolling for Disney to do something similar. I really do hope it does well. Yeah, I, I think that I think it's like 200 bucks to rent it out for eight people, which in yes, the scheme of premium theme park experiences, 200 bucks for an eight person experience is, is, is nothing. Yep, absolutely. So that is all the news I had this week. Um, on to the positivity. Although those were all positive news stories. I can't believe you guys have me facilitating positive news, positive stories here tonight. But I'm excited to do it. Let's get right to it. Uh, this is a companion piece to our previous episode, Nine Things That Disney Could Do Better. I, I think for me and talking to these two guys before we get into the list, this was... I think more challenging to keep to a list of nine because as we said a couple weeks ago, there's a ton of things Disney does well, much more than what they need help with or things that they could do better. Disney as a complete company, not just the theme parks does a lot of things. Well, does a lot of things exceptionally well, diversity, inclusivity. We're going to touch on all of it tonight. There's just so many things that Disney takes that Tim and Rachel can do and that Guy and Jordana and their kids can do and that me and Megan and, and my kids can do. And we're all differently age bracketed with the kids. I mean, we're all close in age kind of, but it's one of those things where Tim and Rachel have no kids guy and, and, and Jordana, they have younger kids and there's something for everyone with Disney as a company, whether it's entertainment whether it's the parks, whether it's the, the Disney store experiences at Target or or wherever you may have them. Uh, shout out to, to our boy, Michael P.S. Mancher, who is still uh, writing daily to Bob Iger to bring back the Disney uh, store concept to Canada. Like a good fight. Um, just trying his hardest. Um, so... I think this is a, a quality list of things that Disney absolutely nails. And this isn't necessarily the only nine things they do well. Just the nine things we want to talk about tonight, Tim. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think these are probably the, the nine things that they do better than anyone else in the given category. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's kind of why we decided on these nine things. But these are definitely nine things they do really damn well. Right. And we're not going to dare I say, pussyfoot around this anymore. We're getting right into the list tonight. Guy, one of the first things you put on the list today, and I completely agree with you when I when I was sorting, we were talking about it offline, the inclusivity at Disney, whether it's with the Space Mountain, the Splash Mountain re-theme, um, the Pride days, the, the gay days they have, the overall accessibility for handicap accessibilities, um, and Guy, my personal favorite that you're going to talk about, and I don't mean this anyway, but just the way you had it written in the doc as fat-friendly. So inclusivity is a big thing with Disney, and I know Tim Timmy's got some thoughts on it too about the differences in parks between Disney and Universal as we are one to compare those two on this show quite a bit. 
But Guy, what are your thoughts initially on inclusivity with Disney? I mean, because it is something they do extremely well. Yeah, so it's funny. It's kind of a perfect theme for this whole episode. Um, you know, it's so easy to be negative about everything in life. But and then that also translates to Disney. And I definitely feel like sometimes we are at more of a negative slant than we really truly feel. Um, and, you know, a lot of people would say that there's so much more that Disney could do. And in a lot of ways, that is true. Uh, but there's a ton of things that Disney does right. Um, not to really, you know, because I feel like we've beaten this topic to death. I know I've talked about it a lot. Uh, just with the Splash Mountain retheme. I mean, I was born in 89. I've never seen Song of the South. When I initially thought about Splash Mountain closing, I said, you know, I don't really see anything inherently racist about the ride. I mean, yeah, it's about a movie. And, you know, I kind of like just glossed it over. And then after about five minutes, the way I thought about it, and it's the way I've thought about it ever since is, well, you know, if one person goes to Magic Kingdom and they go on Splash Mountain and then they have a shitty feeling when they get off of Splash Mountain, that's enough reason for me to get rid of it. And, it, you know, it'll go into the things that I talk about later about inclusivity. Uh, but, you know, have and I, I another thing I feel like I talk about every episode is like, oh, I have an autistic son. And, you know, certainly my son is way more than just an autism diagnosis. But the most beautiful thing about Disney is when we go there, he gets treated like everybody else. He feels like everybody else. And that is enough for, you know, my family to spend countless, countless dollars at Disney. Um, and I wouldn't want to take that feeling away from anybody. So for me, that was always the right call. I think Disney killed it, too. Another thing we complain about, like, oh, how long the retheme's taken? You know, it's given everybody a chance to say goodbye. I know I've had a couple mm -hmm. of chances to go on it. And at this point, I'm just like, ugh, change the ride already. It's, you know, it's pretty dilapidated at this point. But, you know, I won't, you know, dig a grave any further for Splash Mountain. Uh, um, another good thing that Disney does, again, feels like they could do more. But it's like, you know, they have the gay days. It's the first Saturday uh, in June. It is the first Saturday in June. Um, and it's kind of an unofficial Disney holiday. And, you know, people could say, oh, well, Disney could do more. Disney could make it, you know, a real thing. It's just like you couldn't set up a different sort of holiday where you're going to have 10,000 people plus come to Magic Kingdom the first Saturday in March and do an event unless Disney wanted that event to happen. Uh, they would have figured out a way to stop it if they didn't want it. Uh, they've leaned into the merchandise, which talk about inclusivity. I mean, now there's terrible merchandise with rainbow flags on it. So it's talk about being treated like everybody else. Um, there's also some really good pride merchandise they do every year now. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of the, I think a lot of the pride stuff is some of the best stuff they put out. There's that. Um, and then definitely, I mean, something I relate to more. And that's the same thing. Like my son's not just an autism you know, diagnosis. I'm not just a fat person, but Disney, uh, the way that they're so again, how I wrote it, it's just fat friendly. It's just, you know, Disney has four parks and of those four parks, I don't, I don't know if this is official number. Let's say there's like 36 rides or something like that. The only one that I can't ride, and I haven't even tried to ride it, so I don't know if I can or not. I just assume I can't based on what I've read online, is Flight of Passage. But other than that, everything else, every other roller coaster, every other ride, it's 
it's roomy, you know what I mean? And I couldn't go to Universal and feel that way. I couldn't go to Six Flags that way. Couldn't go to Canopy Lake that way. Um, when you go to a park like that, you're kind of like, well, what can I do? Versus Disney is what I can't do. Um, and I mean, you got to be, again, a really, really big guest to have anything to worry about. Um, mm. You know, a side flight of passage. Everything is super, super accommodating. Tron probably isn't going to be when it opens. Doesn't look like it's going to be super accommodating. But again, right. super accommodating is like 300 plus, And it's just like at the end of the day, how many people are Disney pushing away at that point when they have that kind of barrier? I'd be surprised if it's not higher than that um, with Tron, you know, yeah, right. coming for the American well, audience. Actually, today, um, new photos leaked from Tron. Every other uh, train unlike in China, is actually going to have uh, a special car that's a traditional two-row roller coaster car exactly to allow um, either guests of size or guests of uh, different ability uh, that can't sit on the motorcycle-style cars to still experience Tron. So that's Tron, amazing. they and learned from Avatar to not only have that motorcycle-style seating that is not accessible and uh, have worked around that for this iteration of Tron. Yeah, that's amazing. So, I mean, again, when you have a big ticket item like that, if that was at Universal, I mean, it's nothing against Universal either. Universal is a theme park. It is what it is. It's and Universal's not doing anything wrong. Disney's just going out of their way to do something right. Yeah, Tim, he's not wrong. We've had the conversation plenty of times, me and you, personally, offline, online, on this episode, in person, where we've talked about the difference in how Universal is very much are really really and this isn't going to sound right a really really nice six flags in terms of how they design rides their rides are worlds better than six flags i can't stress that enough but the the structure and assembly of rides is very similar to what you would get at a really nice like for instance uh, a bush gardens or somewhere like that and i think we've talked about inclusivity a bunch tim you did uh, a whole I think Random House of Mouse back in the day on Pride Days and Pride Nights. So it's something I know that is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, I, I did the whole history of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I just a lot of these um, issues don't affect me as as a as a fit, straight, cis white man. But um, we, we took my in-laws on vacation and, and my um, my mother-in-law has some medical conditions that mean that she can't you know, be in the sun for too long and can't stand in lines for too long. And uh, that was my first experience with the the DAS system. And it, it was so easy for her to get that set up uh, prior to the trip and do the selections and all that. And then the way it worked once we were in the park, I, it was just incredible how smooth that was. And, and the fact that that even, not only does a system like that exist, but a system like that exists in such a uh, matured uh, fashion that it is so well integrated into the app, into the totality of the experience, into the way the park is designed, the way the rides are designed and everything. Um, it, it, it was just awesome. And it, to see how that could work for people, um, it, it was just awesome. And Disney really, this is, I we wanted this one first because Disney is literally second to none in this category um, in a really, really incredible way. And like it, it's always hard to explain it to people where it's like, it's not like, oh my God, thank God Sal has a disability, but it's just not another burden. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to go, 
oh, there's a 60-minute wait for Jingle Jungle Cruise, excuse me. Let's not even bother. It's just like you you get the pass, and then you go through the fast pass line. And yes, and people complain about that too, unfortunately, which you're not going to make everybody happy. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to wait five, ten minutes. And, you know, depending on each person's situation, I mean, I guess sometimes five, ten minutes, it can be too long. But I would say 90% of the time, it's it's smooth sailing. It's a great system. Yeah, I, I think we all agree that inclusivity, Disney, it, it, I, one of you said at this point, and I've lost who it was, but one of you did say they do. It's, it's second to none in terms of, of how they how they operate and, and their inclusivity level is just, it is out of this world. Um, more companies, I think, would do better, not even just in the theme park industry, but in every facet of industry, every facet of life would be better if you, you had more accessibility for, for everyone, um, which actually... This next one doesn't necessarily include inclusivity, but I think it does on a certain level, the level of immersion that you get specifically at Disney parks. But I think in their filming, in their in their Disney Plus shows, the level of immersion is unbelievable. But I think we're really speaking about primarily the parks, but in their films as well. Galaxy's Edge, Tim, uh, we talked about Cars Land offline. Uh, I, I always thought that the Magic Kingdom parks themselves, that the castle parks, do a great job of making you feel like you're in Frontierland or you're in Fantasyland or you're in a spaceport in Tomorrowland. And I don't think that collectively the general populace fully appreciates what goes into the separation of those lands. When you walk from Victorian Main Street, USA, uh, kind of not Victorian, but Main Street USA, um, Crystal Palace on your left, and you walk over that bridge to Adventureland, you are in whatever random Adventureland they want you to be in, whether it's Southeast Asia or somewhere in the Middle East with Aladdin's Magic Carpets and Agrabah, and then down to the Caribbean. It's just every portion of the land development of those parks is second to none. They kicked it up a notch, in my opinion, with what they do at Animal Kingdom. It's even better. Uh, everything, when you walk into Harambe Village, you are walking through an African settlement. It, it's it's unbelievable the, the, the level of detail that goes in to that immersion. And I think, really, even Toy Story Land, despite my general mehness with Toy Story Land, that does a really nice job of separating it from the park as well. Uh, Pandora is another one. Great job with that. But the films too, Tim. I mean, yeah, I mean, I not only immersion with the films, but just like the totality. I mean, at this point, I don't think it's out of pocket to say Disney with the Star Wars acquisition, with the Marvel acquisition and now with the Fox acquisition. Disney almost has a monopoly on the box office and streaming when it comes to high quality content. Uh, Warner Brothers and HBO kind of still do that, but it seems like they're doing everything they can to ruin that every day now. And it just seems that everybody else is falling further and further behind when it comes to film and always playing catch up to Disney. And Disney is just getting further and further ahead. And sure, they have their stinkers. They have their strange worlds. They have their films that are good, but just don't hit like their light years. Uh, but like for every one of those, there's a Wakanda forever 
an Avatar 2, a Toy Story 4, uh, I mean, you you just name it. I mean, Marvel, Spider-Man, Captain, um, uh, not Captain, Doctor Strange. It's just the, the amount of films they are putting out that they are responsible for that are like dominating the box office in any given year, in any given quarter is just unbelievable. Um, and I mean, the, the, the biggest cultural forces in film are Star Wars and Marvel, and those are solely Disney things. Uh, and then one other thing about immersion in the parks I just want to touch on is we were very critical, and a lot of people were very critical, of um, Avengers Campus, both in Paris and uh, mm-hmm. at Disneyland. And I'm the only one who's been there, uh, and it's really hard to understand that that land in a different way, but its own way, um, does a similar job to Galaxy's Edge, to Cars Land, to Pandora and Immersion, because it, it is kind of generic, but they put so many living characters and like pop-up streetmosphere entertainment that's so much more involved than anything in those lands that do their immersion through the architecture rides, um, engineering of the areas that even those Avengers campuses that literally look like office parks end up feeling like you are in a, you know, area run by the Avengers. It's not, it, it, Disney just is able to pull this off in a way that no one else can, whether it's, as Bob said, like the castle parks in the fifties or the seventies or these cutting edge uh, lands now. I mean, Disney is just kills it in this area in a way that Universal is starting to kind of come close to, especially with the Harry Potter stuff. We talked about that. We did Disney versus Universal Battle of the Lands years ago. But everybody else is playing catch up and Universal is, you know, starting to come close. No other theme park is remotely anywhere near this. You know, and listen, I'll be the first to tell you the Bush Gardens parks are beautiful, but they're not this. The Bush Garden parks, some of the most beautiful parks in the world, but they're not what you get at Disney or even what you get at Universal. You really don't. And they're not even trying to be. Right. One quick note I will say about your HBO shot that it it didn't get past me. They literally, HBO Discovery, whatever the hell they're calling themselves, just took West, is taking Westworld off of HBO Max because they don't want to pay the royalties to the actors and and the directors in the show. That is nothing to do with the level terrible that that is happening. They're, I can't, anyway. They're, they're, they're going to shop it out to some other new, uh, something called Fast Channel, some emerging technology. Yeah, they're going to try to shop it out on some new market for streaming. Very, yeah. very weird stuff. But you'll never see Disney do any of that stuff because they nope. understand the value of their properties as a yep. whole. Yep. Guy, one that me and Tim just completely ignored which blows my mind wasn't in my notes either here is you could say that the first great immersive land is at epcot you could say that world showcase is still to this day for how many nations are represented is the most immersive land in any Disney park and i know that's cool that's a hot take oh yeah whatever else the galaxies at but the fact that you can go into Mexico and you go into Mexico 
and guy, I know you're a fan of World Showcase, so it's kind of why I am speaking mm-hmm. to you on this. It's incredible the level of immersion in Epcot. That's the thing too. I mean, we were just talking today, me and Jordana, about just like you know how fortunate we are and like the disposable income we have, um, which it seems like we're always living hand to mouth. Which that's what we were talking about. But anyways, so with Epcot though, I mean. It is just like that's an experience that we're not going to have. Like, I'm never going to go to Morocco. I would love to go to Morocco, but I'm never going to go. But I get that nice experience at Disney. Um, And Disney does that really good, too, because they do it in ways you wouldn't even think you would care about. So just an example, like the sword in the stone uh, in front of, um, you know, the carousel. You know, you go, you take your picture and I don't care who you are. If you grab that sword and it just happens to be your lucky day and that sword comes out of the stone, I don't care if you're 80 years old. There's no way you're not going to feel like five-year-old you would have felt right. in that moment. And that's just um, just the thing that you wouldn't even – you just – 100,000 people walk by it every week and don't even go near it. And that's the kind of experience you can have – just at Disney without them seemingly trying. Um, that's what they do really good. And then just to touch back on to the films, everything that's going great for Disney and the animation department is in like a real downturn right now. And that Renaissance period, just the way that this company is operated, it's coming. There's going to be three straight Pixar movies that blow up, blow, blows our hair back. And same thing with Disney animation. I don't think it's dead. Um, I think a renaissance period is coming, so it's it's going to keep going for sure. Yeah, I think it's the most cyclical of their businesses. I think that it just takes so much effort to pump out original thought processes on. Listen, do I think the elemental is gonna is gonna be groundbreaking? It could be. Who thought Inside Out was gonna be as good as it was? So elemental, I think, is their next big shot at what you're saying guy of kind of triggering the renaissance for for an animation which is interesting nice segue because i want to stay in epcot tim and guy for a little bit of ip usage this is against my better judgment because i'm not a huge like i don't need to have ips in the park but by all accounts guardians of the galaxy cosmic rewind and that whole little xandar area is is supposed to be extremely well done against my better judgment damn it frozen works in norway whether i want to admit it or not it 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 makes sense ratatouille and that usage in france the pinnacle of ip usage and that's what i want i don't care that peter pan's flight is in fantasy land but when you can take ips like that and put them in a theme park like epcot you're doing something right and so a small thing Disney did right too with Frozen is you took a ride with a 20-minute wait time and you turned it into a universal 60-minute wait time and you were just eating people from open to close all day. Um, Ratatouille, the ride's not great, but again, what they did with France, that yeah. was a country that you could kind of just walk right past there on the corner and not really go into it. And now it's like there's so much more to explore there. I'm not a huge IP guy in the parks either, but I mean, really, there isn't a yeah. bad one. There isn't one where you could be like, you know, this park would be a lot better if this wasn't existing. Um, 
not in Epcot, which was like never an IP park. And it certainly is now. It's just like, can you imagine Ellen's, you know, universal energy still being there over an IP? Like the anti-IP people, like, is that what you would want? Would you rather go on that 45 minute boring ride or would you rather go on one of the best coasters? I mean, certainly at Disney, but, you know. The anti-IP people want it to be just the universe of energy from 1982. They don't want Ellen there either. They want the original universe of energy. They want the hydrolators back at Nemo and Friends, this season Nemo and Friends. And Tim, let's start there with me and you because we have a love affair with that side of, of Epcot. That might be the most clinical, the most efficient, and perhaps the best use of an IP at Epcot, in my opinion. The seas with Nemo and friends. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I will say, though, the Guardian stuff, people yeah. were – the anti-IP people were incensed when yep. that was um, you know, announced all through the construction, all through the previews and stuff. Yep. And I think if anything has made people eat their words on IP, it is that. For there sure. are so many people who have had to now publicly admit, like, Oh, I thought this was terrible, but you know what? It's actually great. Like the queue's amazing, the way they integrated it, uh, right. the way you know they blended it into the story of Epcot, the life it has brought to the park, the interest it has brought back to the park at at one of the lowest times in history for Epcot. Epcot is probably at it, 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 its worst it's ever been with the construction walls and the delays yep. and the pandemic and everything, and 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 having a e-ticket plus. Marvel coaster in Orlando mm-hmm. on Disney pro- property has really reinvigorated it. Um, but what I want to touch on about IPs, kind of the approach I, I took this bullet to, um, is kind of what we were just talking about. Disney really zealously protects their IPs and cares about how they're used, whether that is in merchandise, in video games, in uh, you know how they spin off their IPs. I mean, they're making all this Star Wars content right now, but it is still being handled with care and respect mm-hmm. where Andor is tearing up the Global Gro- uh, Golden Globe nominees and not in technical categories as Star Wars often are in the creative categories. I mean, uh, Diego Luna is, is is nominated for best actor in a dramatic series like right. you know disney handles these ips um on the cruise ships you know they're these beautiful boats with these signature disney touches with the characters um from all eras of disney but handled in this such an elegant way in a way that evokes a, a luxury cruise line while having these disney ips tacked on disney is just better than anyone else at both protecting their intellectual property, but also preserving it and using mm-hmm. it in an appropriate way, in a way that enhances things um, that mm-hmm. I think is kind of maybe not making more and more people like, um, you know, host Emeritus Drew, who's like, no, I want an IP on everything and everywhere in the park. Right. But at least I think the numbers of the anti-IP people are fewer and fewer. I think more right. and more people right. as Disney does IP stuff that looks like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy are saying, you know what? This is fine. If this is how they're going to do it, then they probably should do it this way. Right. Well, I think what Disney has is an embarrassment of riches with IPs. If you look at Universal, 
it's like a two-trick pony, man. Maybe a three-trick pony. You have the Harry Potter, the Wizarding World, the Wizarding World stuff. You now have Nintendo, and then a Jurassic World, the Jurassic World Legacy series. Now at this point, with the three Jurassic Parks and the three Jurassic World movies, are are their primary three? I would argue that Universal leans too heavily on specifically the Wizarding World, and I know it prints money. I, I, I get it, but. My favorite part of Universal Studios, and again, I'm partial to Jaws, I understand that, was when you walked into Amity to go on the Jaws ride at Universal Studios, you were on the film set, it was the 4th of July, and there was a shark in the water. And Universal, I feel like, has done the opposite of what Disney has, unless it's a Wizarding World property, or Jurassic World, or Super Mario. Everything else... The Transformers ride, as cool as it is, is just kind of there, you know? And they kind of did it with Springfield a little bit. So I don't really want to crap all over Universal, but I do feel like they lean heavily on the Wizarding World. And I don't know that's as evergreen as people think it is, Tim. I think that's the big thing for Disney, is a lot of their stuff is evergreen. And because they're so protective, like you said, because they're so protective of their IPs and the usage it means something more when Disney does it than when Universal rips out half of the Lost Continent and puts in a King Kong attraction between Jurassic Park and Toon Lagoon. It doesn't make any sense. Where Disney, I think, is much more um, subtle in their approaches. Don't ask me to explain Galaxy's Edge where it is. It, it just kind of works where it is. Um, so for those of you keeping score at home, that is uh, inclusivity, level of immersion, and IP usage. So we didn't do a recap last last week, so I would like to just kind of do one as we go through um, this week's episode. Uh, Tim and Guy, another one that we want to talk about, I think probably might be the biggest thing that Disney does well, and I don't know this is so much Disney as much as it is the actual cast members themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk a lot about the Disney difference guy, right? We talk about the Disney difference on a lot of things, and for... This instance, I think a gentleman that goes significantly more than I do, whose wife is kind of an extension of the Disney difference in what she does for a living, maybe you're able to run this down in a more coherent way than we than me saying, yeah, they're really nice to you when you check into your hotel <laughs> and they say welcome home, which I know you like that subtle touch, and it's so subtle, the, the welcome home. Well, oh, gee, thanks. That's nice of you. But what the cast members, I don't think is a company thing as much as it's a a people thing. Am I am I wrong for saying that? No, I think you're right. And I mean, a lot of thing that that Disney kind of gets credit for kind of in the long run that a lot of places just don't have is people want to work at Disney for a lot of people. That's their dream. A lot of people pack up from, you know, Rhode Island, not just Rhode Island, but just keeping it specific to us. And they'll move to Florida to work at Disney and to be underpaid. Like, that's how crazy Disney's legacy is, is that you can get people to move there, to relocate, to live in, you know, a a crappy apartment, but to live their dream. And, you know, even from the custodial staff to the quick service workers. I mean, a lot of those people, it's not just a job for them. A lot of those people have loved Disney their whole life and 
You know, they could work at, you know, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, obviously, at all. But it's like they could either work at Target or, you know, a grocery store or, you know, a fast food restaurant or they could work at Disney. And like, I'd rather work at Disney. Um, and they I hate to say Disney takes advantage of those people, but they, they kind of do. Um, and that's kind of how they're able to get people who want to go to work like that's tough. You know, it's easy to work hard for a job that you want to do and a job that you like to do. Um, and I mean, Disney definitely benefits from that. Um, you know, there's so many small touches that you could kind of break into just some that I see, you know, on a trip to trip basis. When you go into a bathroom, it is always clean. Um, mm -hmm. Just me, young kids, changing tables. 50% of the time, and this is not an exaggeration, at least 50% of the time that I go to change, you know, Leo this year on a trip, there has been a cast member in there cleaning that changing table that I mm -hmm. have to wait. And it's not an inconvenience at all. It's amazing. I have to wait for them to be done sanitizing the changing table so I can use it. And it's again, it's at least 50% of the time. It might be higher. And just an attention to detail like that is insane. Um, there's always somebody doing the right thing. If there's right. a piece of trash on the ground, you rarely see it. But somebody is always there to mm -hmm. snatch it up. And you're not going to get that at other jobs where it's like, oh, if you're in the lunchroom and the CEO of the company sees, uh, you know, an empty chip bag on the ground, they're not going to go out of their way to pick it up. Whereas at Disney, it doesn't matter who you are. You're going to go out of your way to pick it up. Um, and just doing all those little things um, definitely just creates a better environment. Um, yeah. And I think Disney really, really does that well. Um, the trainings they do for outside companies, it's far and away the number one uh, in the world. I know when I worked at Twin River, uh, we had a company come in. They were the number two company in the world. And the first thing that they said is, you know, Disney kicks our butts when it comes to this stuff. Um, so, I mean, they're very well respected always for sure. So Tim, same question for you. And since guy did give cover a lot of ground, let me just, let me kind of rephrase it for you here. Do we give Disney more credit than they deserve? And should that credit go to the individual cast member or like guys said, is their training that good? Cause I think a lot of it is the person and maybe less the company. But where do I we draw the line between the two? I, I think their training is that good because I mean, look at, Look at the news post-pandemic. The favorite thing for Americans to complain about right now is low-wage service workers and how bad it is and how no one wants to work anymore and how service sucks now and everything is, is slow and bad and understaffed and the people suck and all this stuff. And, I mean, we really – Last uh, two weeks ago, when we did what Disney does wrong, we kind of ended on giving the cast members their flowers and saying, hey, Disney, pay these people what they're worth. And they're worth a hell of a lot more than you're paying them. But the reason for that is, is the Disney difference, because you are not going to find low wage hourly workers who are as consummate professionals, as courteous, who do their job as well and as passionately as Disney cast members, whether it's the guy cleaning off the changing tables or the waiters, the bartenders, the people, you know, sweeping up a path that has a single leaf has fallen on it, just like the the uh, 
level of service and the courteousness and the preciseness and the professional uh, attitude that those things are occurring with all the time by these employees is just second to none in the hospitality industry, in the theme park industry. And it's both the, 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 the hourly workers and the hourly management. That's another place where you really see just like a lack of engagement from, from low level managers and, 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 and hourly workers. You do not see the, the kind of service that is provided by those people and the kind of management that is provided to those people anywhere else in America other than at a Disney park or on a Disney cruise or at some sort of direct Disney venue where the workers are called cast members. You, you, you simply do not see that anywhere but at those places. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers it then. Gentlemen, we all agree the cast members are a huge part of the quote-unquote Disney difference, something that Disney does extraordinarily well. Um, not even compared to other people in their sectors, I, I think we've covered it pretty well for literally any sector of of business. Disney is second to none. Um, the next one, I think, is kind of open-ended, but it's it's pretty succinct. I think... We always hear the variety is the spice of life, and Tim, you can probably speak to the theme parks on a global scale better than than Guy or myself would read in a in a guidebook. But they've got twelve distinctly different theme parks worldwide. Uh, the hotel room, countless hotel rooms uh, on their properties, tons of different themes, uh, numerous dining options, which I, I think we're going to touch on a little bit here as well. Um, a wide berth, like we've talked about, of, of multimedia entertainment properties and everything like that. There is literally something for everyone that Disney does, whether it's the three-year-old that watches Spider-Man and his amazing friends or the 38-year-old that goes in opening day to see Wakanda Forever. There's something for everyone in the Walt Disney Company. Is that too much of a of a blanket statement or is it true no i mean if anything it's an understatement um i just want to I'll, I'll focus on on two uh and then let you guys take some of the other ones the two i want to focus on is i kind of knocked disney a little bit on this um two weeks ago when i said things they do wrong i said their food was getting less special but the fact of the matter is despite it's getting less special they're still doing it better at every level than any other similar all-inclusive kind of vacation destination, whether it's another immersive theme park a la Universal or like a, uh, you know, Great Wolf Lodge type place that you take your family to on vacation or, um, you know, a, a, a different cruise line or, or anything. Disney parks really can ha not only have food for everyone from the stuff you expect to see your your chicken nuggets your hamburgers all the way up to victoria and alberts where you have you know a michelin starred restaurant in on on your theme park property um and and they just have literally everything in between they're constantly changing the menus they have turned epcot into this food festival destination that is such an important aspect of seasonal life for central florida residents to to go to i mean they they literally sell a a annual pass that is only for 
after 2 p.m. at Epcot that really only exists so that the locals can walk on to Epcot for these food and wine festivals. And, and, and Disney has somehow managed to turn a theme park into a foodie destination, whether that they're looking for is, is fun, creative, small bites that they can grab on the go in between attractions to um, elaborate uh, multi-course tasting menus at a place like Takumi Tei in Japan, Philly, that's finally reopened, uh, where you're going to sit down and have a three-hour fine dining chef-driven experience and have like once-in-a-lifetime food. And I mean, that's just so cool to me that Disney has always had that as part of their identity. And that kind of variety um, is available in a theme park. And then kind of in the same thing, Disney's on property hotels across their theme parks. They really cover theme and variety and price targets. Uh, you know, they could have just basically had everything be like a a barely themed version of the All-Stars and they would still sell it all out because people want to be able to stay on property. And instead, they have this whole range of hotel rooms at different sizes and categories and, and types. And uh, they really, you know, have something for everyone there, whether it's in price or theme or size or, uh, you know, what kind of a hotel it is, whether it's, you know, cabins or suites or family suites or, you know, um, timeshares in the DVC program. And, and, and they just have something for everyone there. So I, I think those are two places where Disney does an incredible job with variety just in two specific aspects of the theme parks. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. Um, Guy, for, for me... What Tim said is absolutely true. I go there, I eat chicken nuggets, french fries, the mediocre pizza that tastes like the desk that I record this podcast that, you know, things like that. Um, the hotels, too, we've talked, we've covered hotels, I think, extensively. Some would say too extensively. I wouldn't say that, but I think some people would. We com we've complained about the pricing. We've complained about the room um, separations in terms of, well, you get the... The pirate view, you get the pirate themed uh, lake view at Caribbean Beach, which is four and a half miles away from anywhere else in the resort and the size. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the variety of it all. And you go at this point more than Tim and definitely more than I do. Again, part of it is Jordana's business. And that's why you guys, I think, go as much as you do. And I think you guys love the experience for all the things you've talked about to this point. Why do you keep going back? Variety. Variety is the reason you go back. Absolutely. So we've kind of hit uh, every tier this year. Um, I feel like we're knocking out a lot more of the deluxes um, than everything else. But just on this past trip, uh, you know, we stopped for the night we flew in. Uh, we were supposed to fly in at night and we were just going to stay at one of the all-stars. Um, there wasn't a ton of availability. Um, and then Pop came out. Uh, they had a... Um, you know, just a standard room. And it's like, oh, my God, let's just switch to pop. And we, you know, swapped our flight so we could take an early flight just so we could go experience a value resort, which doesn't sound like something anyone would ever do. Um, but it's it's amazing. Like if you were to ask Sal what his favorite hotel was the whole time that we've all the places that we've gone this year, 
you know, we've done Grand Floridian, we did Yacht Club, we did, you know, um, uh, whatever. It doesn't even matter at this point. But, like, he would say, like, pop was the best. And it's like, you would think, oh, well, these rooms are really crammed. Well, it's like, for Sal, it's like, oh, cool. So I can jump from one bed to the other. It's from one bed to the other. From one bed to the other. And, like, Yacht Club has such an elaborate pool. And it's like, again, pop century. A small, smaller pool in comparison. But he loved it. He loved the music. He loved the theming of the hotel. Like, that speaks to a kid a lot more than Grand Floridian does at all. How old is Sal? Sal's four. Why would any four-year-old in their right mind not choose Pop Century over the local morgue? What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> but even the splash pad, the splash pad is no. almost nothing. It is right. eight inches of water with a couple of you know right. water cannons basically in them. But go, go ahead and try to drag him out of there after two hours. Yeah. It's like, buddy, what are we doing here? And he was having as much fun at literally the two-hour mark as the first two minutes. It's it's crazy, but they love it. And especially with, like, the things that Disney's so smart at doing, of just, like, with pop and art of animation, not only the theming, but just adding, and we're going to get into transportation next, but giving that valuable transportation of the Skyliner to those value resorts where it's like that's like that's a game changer for a lot of people. And I mean, for us, that was what stopped us from being DVC when we were originally going to sign up for DVC. It's just like or it's like we can pay all the money for DVC or we can keep spending between you know, 150 and 175 dollars a night and stay at a fun hotel that has this, you know, this new experience. It's like, yeah, it's great that, you know, it's not a monorail resort, obviously, but I can hop on the monorail in the sky and I can be at Hollywood Studios or Epcot in five minutes. Like, you can't beat that at a value resort. Listen, I'll be the first to tell you that, much to Tim's chagrin, who doesn't think the moderates should exist, I love Port Orleans, the entirety of the complex, French Quarter and Riverside, either one it is my favorite resort on property anywhere I've ever stayed. I love the French quarter. If it's just me and Meg, it's a little bit more intimate. It's an, it's a, it's a little bit more adult. It's a little more grown up. When you go with the kids, there's a reason that the value resorts are the way they are. They nailed it. And that might, that might need to be level of immersion or IP usage too, guys, because the way that they designed those resorts and let's be honest, they're hotels, but they're, they're, they're resorts in, a, in their own way. They're fantastic. They're, they're a lot of fun. Um, another thing we talked about in Variety, I think, is something we talked about level of immersion with films. I don't really want to go into that too much. We talked about how it pretty much owns the box office in every way, Tim. So I think to rehash that would just kind of be elongating the episode for the sake of us hearing ourselves. So let's get right into what Guy was talking about in our next thing Disney does right. And to me... I know it's hectic sometimes, guys. I know the line for the Skyliner at Epcot is outrageous when you're trying to leave the park. I, I get it. I understand. But what Disney accomplishes with the volume of people they have in such a small space that they're able to transport with minimal incidents. I'm not saying it's perfect. I know doors fall off the monorail. I get it. It would make most mass transit systems in this country jealous to have that kind of efficiency with what they move around that property any given time. I, I mean, from the Skyliner to the minivans 
to the monorail, to the ferries, to the motor coaches. It is truly astounding that there aren't more issues or more inefficiencies in the system than there already are. I know, Tim, there's that family of four that got to the bus station as it pulled away, and they got a 27-minute wait to get to Disney Springs. I understand it's it's not a perfect system, but for what they're doing, it is one of the crowning achievements of civil engineering that Disney moves that many people around their property on so many different levels of transportation with minimal incidences that they have. So I I recently learned a fact that put this in sharp, sharp perspective for me. And you are not kidding when you say major cities jealous. So some of my wife's family lives down in the suburbs of Baltimore. I go down to Baltimore three, four, five times a year. And oftentimes uh, when I go down to Baltimore, I have to piggyback with something else that will cause me to need to go into the city by myself. So I will drive down um, to like 20 minutes from the house, get on a light rail, take that into the city, transfer to the subway, and go where I'm going and then do the whole thing on the way out. So I recently found out that Disney's bus system alone in a week moves more people than the entirety of Baltimore's entire mass transit system, which includes buses, two different types of light rail, and a subway, does in a year. And with minimal, minimal, like, mess-ups, with almost no delays, I mean, on any given day in any major city, New York, L.A., Baltimore, Chicago, whatever, you are going to run into a, a, a sign in a subway station or a bus, a paper sign that's up that says, you know, from December 12th to the January 2nd, uh, the L train isn't running. Use the G to the N instead. It, it, that never happens in Disney. They just have so many buses that they swap them out. Things don't change. Uh, the Skyliner is an achievement in and of itself. That Skyliner just changed the game to the point where they are efficiently moving so many people so fast from those Skyliner resorts to Hollywood Studios and Epcot that it is simply unreal. Like what Disney does with transportation, never mind comparing them to other things in the theme park and vacation space. I, I, I mean, major global cities are looking at how Disney's in-park, uh, on-resort transportation at Walt Disney World works and taking notes because it is uh, really, I mean, you said it, Bob, it is a crowning feat of civil engineering. Guy, I mean, you kind of touched on it with the Skyliner and stuff, but isn't it incredible? It really is. And, and not to get off that and to go on to something different. But just like another thing that Disney does great that I never thought I would, you know, enjoy, and they've certainly made a believer of me, you know, multiple times a trip at this point is the minivan service. I am, you know, I'm a cheapskate deep, deep in my heart. And just the idea that I'm going to pay, you know, a premium because, you know, the car has, you know, polka dots on it. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. I'm never going to do this. And it took one ride for me to be a believer. It's just like. When you have two small kids and you can get car seats, no problem, and you don't have to worry about it. Like, that's amazing. And they just like, it's like, how do they do it? It's like, they'll just whip those car seats right in. They'll have it adjusted perfectly for the four-year-old. They'll have it perfectly adjusted for the 18-month-year-old. Um, it's really crazy. And then just another great thing about that system, too, is 
you know, you order your your minivan, and literally by the time you get on the elevator um, and down to the lobby, like that that car is there waiting for you, and it just makes you feel special. I mean, even though you're paying for a premium experience, they make you feel like you're important, and like you can't really you can't really argue against it. Like it's it's great. It's really a special service, and then everything else is the buses, everything, um, and how accommodating they are too. Just with the bus system where it's like, all right, if you're in an ECV, don't worry about it. We yep. got you. We got you. We got your family. You're all going to be together. We're going to figure it out. Um, you know, they really do it. I mean, not to just beat Tim's horse, uh, beat Tim's point into the ground, but like they do it better than anyone. And, you know, anyone would be jealous to do it. Yeah, it is true. I think back on our seven wonders of Disney World, we did talk about the monorails and transportation and their infrastructure in general being one of the wonders of Disney World, and it's certainly transportation there and the way they're the way they manage it is just second to none. So just for those of you keeping score at home, that would be cast members. Variety is the spice of life, and transportation around Disney World being the next three. And then we got a couple more here before we wrap it up, uh, guy. One that I think you are a bigger proponent of, not necessarily a bigger proponent, but a more vocal proponent of these things, the after hours events, the Halloween party, the Christmas party. Those are things that I think when, when we've talked about it, this one for me was a tough sell. I'll be honest because it is such a premium experience. Having experienced both of them, it is the most worthwhile premium experience that Disney offers, even when they're sold out. So let's go with that because this was hard for me, but at the same time, there's nothing like it anywhere else in the world. Yeah, so with these after-hours events, um, you know, again, I keep saying kind of what Disney does right, um, is you're really getting, again, a premium experience. Um, the one thing I wish that they would do a little bit different with, like, the Halloween parties and the Christmas parties is they let you in at 4 o'clock, um, and then you still have the crowd from the day till about 6. I wish that they would either, A, you know, kick the, you know, the, the, the day guests out earlier or just have the party guests come in later because that's like kind of a weird period for everybody who's still in the parks. Yeah. You know, this is the positive episode. Um, but it's just like the people who are there trying to get their money's worth, the people who are coming in are like, Oh, everything's like a giant line. And it kind of puts yeah. the first couple of hours in kind of a negative space. And then the party starts and then you kind of really get to enjoy it. I wish they would kind of adjust it where, you know, the day guests like pay a reduced rate and it's just like, all right, at two o'clock, we start shutting everything down. We kind of have everybody out by three. And then at four o'clock, the party guests kind of come in or they get their wristband if they're already a day guest as well. Yeah. Uh, but that's never going to happen. But uh, done with the negative into the positive. Uh, you know, I did the Halloween party and the Christmas party this year. Uh, they were both kind of incredible experiences, really back to pre pandemic, um, you know, expectations. Uh, completely blew me out of the water. Just like even the small touches they do, the way that they, you know, theme rides. Space Mountain's always great. They had a great overlay for Christmas this year. Um, they always have a good one for Halloween as well. Um, definitely a good experience. If you haven't done them, I really can't recommend them enough. We're kind of getting long-winded here, so that's kind of all I'm going to say on that. Tim, you're a guy that believes the premium experiences are are good for the business, and you're a proponent of the after-hours events being solid events, and you told me that I shouldn't want to 
get extra magic hours for free just because I stay on property. That should be a premium experience. I remember that exactly. Those are your exact words. Um, Those were not my exact words, but sure. <laughs> but these are solid events, Tim. I mean, Disney, one thing, and let's, let's be honest, we've talked about it. Halloween party, the Halloween parade and Christmas parade are two of, if not the best two parades Disney puts on all year. Yeah. In, in, in Florida, yes. yes. That's the qualifier. Yeah, yeah. No, in Florida, yes. Uh, but, no, I mean, the, these are great, uh, especially the Christmas stuff is just really second to none. Uh, really, really beautiful. Really special. I mean, hell, they, they make it snow in Orlando True. every night. Um, yeah, I mean, like I'll try to stay with the positives. I, I My bigger issue is now it seems like attendance for these is being allowed to go up and up every year and they are not their their price is a premium experience but kind of the draw used to be that there was less people uh and now it seems like it's kind of an uncapped thing but at the same time that can also be a positive because more people can get to experience these and, and they are something that is really really special and that disney is really doing um in a different in better way than anyone else in this category yeah, I, that's, yep, moving on. One very near and dear to our heart, uh, recently for one of our co-hosts here, one of our hosts on the show, and our former host and myself, and I think this also speaks to Guy and more for Jordana and, and her business, um, the Disney Cruise Line, Tim, and, and I get it. Let, let's, let's, let's get it out of the way. Let's get the negativity out of the way. Compared to most other cruise lines, the Disney Cruise Line I find is, dare I say, a premium experience. Let's be honest. Um, it, it's a little bit more high-end in terms of price. But I will tell you, maybe it was because it was our honeymoon. Maybe it was because we were, you know, 11 years younger than we are now. I was, you know, my early, late, 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 late 20s, I guess. The Disney Cruise Line is arguably the best thing Disney does. Yeah. Uh I kind of buried the lead eight down here, but uh, the reason we didn't have a show last week is uh, Rachel and I went on a Disney cruise on the uh, Disney Dream uh, for beautiful a week ship. to a uh, Castaway ship. Key and then on to the Mexican Riviera, and it was incredible. Uh, I mean, within eight hours of, of leaving Port Miami, Rachel looked at me and said, so when are we booking the next one? Uh, this, to me... Uh, especially coming off of the things Disney could do better show was just a week of constantly 24 hours a day being reminded why I love this company for vacation and what they do right. Uh, I agree 100 percent, Bob. I, I think right now with kind of the parks in a transitional state, the leadership in a transitional state, the studios in a transitional state, and still doing things great and still things doing right, Disney Cruise Line is the pinnacle of what the Disney vacation experience is. And yes, it is certainly priced at a premium product, but you get every penny worth. Uh, the food was impeccable. The uh, the enhanced dining, the adults-only dining is impeccable. Um a lot of people said as we we kind of led up to this cruise, oh, you're going on a Disney cruise? Wouldn't you rather do like Virgin or Celebrity if you're going to spend that kind of money on a cruise? Because isn't it just going to be full of little kids? And it was, you know, yeah. um, this cruise, especially being between Thanksgiving and Christmas was full of the youngest kids who aren't in school. So the parents need to pull them out. 
But Disney does an amazing job on these ships with all the adults only areas, which means that the more kids that are on the cruise, the more those adults only area are there for couples. I mean, we had we 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 did the spa multiple times, um, all the bars, the nightclubs, the the adults only dining areas. Um, it, it just absolutely amazing. Um, Disney Cruise Line, it's well known as the only cruise line where a huge percentage of the passengers other than on the private island will just simply not get off the ship uh, on port days because they the experience on the ship is just so premium compared to anything you'll find in the port. Disney has actually adapted to this over the years. Um, their itineraries feature uh, quite a few more days at sea than you will see on other cruise lines because oftentimes on other cruise lines, the cruise really just exists as a way to feed and house people as they go to these various ports of call. Whereas with Disney, the ship is the attraction. Um, and all the things we said about cast members, about variety, about level of immersion, about inclusivity, all those positives, the, the pinnacle of those things, the cleanliness, the attention to detail, the kindness and, and, and attentiveness of the, the cast members, the, the, the way the IPs are integrated into things, all of that is turned up to 11 on these cruise ships. And uh, it, it's just amazing um, the, the way the boats look. It's completely timeless. The Disney dream in 10 years will still will not look dated because it, it's just, you know, the materials are so premium design. There's nothing that is, you know, going to date itself because it already is made to look as this, you know, beautiful art deco, um, you know, ocean liner from the golden age of, of, of travel by ship. Uh, I, obviously, I can't say enough good things about this, so I'll uh, I'll, I'll throw it to to Bob and uh, Guy if, if they have anything else to add. But I I really think it, this is the thing that Disney does best right now. Yeah, I would say Castaway Key and the ships themselves are just the industry standard in terms of what cruising can and should be. Guy, do you have you guys done Disney cruises yet or no? No, so we've had one scheduled, I feel like, for the last two years. We just keep pushing it back and pushing it back. Um, I mean, honestly, I feel like the only reason why we haven't done it yet is we're just afraid to kind of fall in love with it. Uh, we wanted to do a Christmas cruise. Didn't really work for us this year, uh, so we do have one booked for next year. Uh, we are doing our first family cruise in March. Um, but That's going to be Royal Caribbean, uh, but that's kind of like our, our starter cruise, basically. Um, to hopefully get to Disney. It's a little bit tougher, um, you know, with, you know, Leo being in diapers, you don't get that kind of kids club experience that a lot of people, um, you know, kind of get with the Disney cruise where it's like literally you get on the ship, you, you know, have breakfast with your kids, you say goodbye, you have, they're gone all day, you have dinner with your kids and then they go to sleep and then they wake up and you do the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, so that's definitely a benefit of, um, you know, the Disney Cruise Line and their kids clubs and things like that and how enjoyable they are. And then just kind of a tale of two cities here, too, where it's like 
who's the smartest person in the room? Uh, you know, we just went uh, to Disney as well, and we thought, oh, and Bob, me and you were talking about this offline. Oh, we'll go the, the week right after Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. it'll be dead, and nobody will be there. And then it's like, oh, there's a 65-minute wait for Alien Swirl and Saucer. Meanwhile, Tim and Rachel are in all those adult-only areas, not alone, obviously, but, you know, a lot more yeah. deserted than it normally would be. And it's just like, you know, definitely he picked the right horse for sure that time. Yeah, I can't say enough great things about the Disney Dream being a beautiful—I I adore that ship. It is—Tim, I, I, we could do a whole episode on the Disney Dream. Maybe we will. I, I don't know. But it's, it's, it's a beautiful ship. It really, really is. Uh, the last one here, Tim— might be the most esoteric of the night, which perfect for us, perfect for how we run episodes. Uh, for us, this is an an all ages experiences that are traditional that are actually engaging and transcend traditional age categories. I think the the instance you made is that you know Peter Pan's flight. You can be eighty, you can be eight, and it's going to speak to you on a level that is the same. And not everywhere kind of does it that way. Where and you made the example, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier about Universal. Um, yeah, the Transformers ride is great, but Transformers is 48 inches, and this ride is 54 inches. And Disney's ability to have you and me and my kids all ride the same ride at the same time and get the same experience out of it is second to none. But I don't want to butcher what your thoughts were, so I'm gonna let you kind of take that. So, I not as actually my my point is almost the opposite it's not the same experience so with some rides it very distinctly is the same experience peter pan's flight is the best example of this where for a kid the experience is the wonder of experiencing that for the first or second time in their life and for the 80 year old it's the pure nostalgia of the peter pan film of maybe riding that ride in disneyland in the early days and getting that same experience you know 50 70 years later but the opposite is also true where uh you know a little kid going on rise of the resistance is just gonna you know be kind of almost overwhelmed by the the thrills and the sights and the sounds and the smells and stuff of that ride whereas an adult who has wanted their whole life to be in Star Wars for 30 minutes, gets to live this immersive Star Wars story and see all these cool little details. Or an adult who doesn't really care about Star Wars gets to go on this ride and just see like the technical mastery of all these different ride systems and visual and audio systems all coming together in this half a billion dollar single ride experience that takes a half an hour. But that all these varied groups can experience all these different rides on all these different and attractions on all these different levels and still get something out of them. And I do feel like what you said with the heights, that Disney really makes a concerted effort to only do the height requirement um, to like the minimum of what it has to be. So like Guardians has a height requirement Um, You know, they designed it in such a way that, you know, the intensity that, you know, the height requirement balances against the intensity. So the height requirement is as low as it can possibly be. Whereas other theme parks, they're like, we're going to make a thrilling coaster. We're going to make it super crazy. And then after the fact, you know, the regulators come in and say, all right, 
you know, for the restraint you have, for the G-force you have and stuff, this this ride is for this height and over. And they're like, all right, well, I guess that means that, you know, this ride is basically only for older kids up to adults, whereas Disney wants to get as many people to be able to experience their attractions together all at once. And and it kind of, in some ways, goes back to that inclusivity, but that also that Disney doesn't have to do these categories like, all right, this is a kiddie ride, and this is a teen thrill ride, and this is a you know, a show for adults that pretty much everything has some experience that uh, every age group can pull from, you know, the various rides um, at different points in their life. And, and they can grow up those rides and those rides will grow with them. And that's why people go to Disney over and over and over again at different points in their life so that they can experience those things at those different inflection points and 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 look back and, and form these core memories based around these theme park rides. That's a low-key uh, inside-out reference there for you folks. That's how we do it on the Disney Guys Uncensored. Guy, take us home here, bud. You know, uh, all you, you kind of got Tim's Reader's Digest version of what we kind of <laughs> talked about offline a little bit. So, what did you? What is your take on it? I mean, Tim really kind of nailed it uh, perfectly. Um, Disney is great at kind of, um, doing things for everybody and kind of thinking about everybody. And that's ultimately kind of where they go first. Um, I know for us as a family, like, you know, Sal's only four, but there's, he can do almost everything. I mean, he's kind of on the taller side for a four-year-old. Um, but I mean, other than, you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy or, or Space Mountain, there's really nothing he can't do. Uh, which is amazing and really smart on Disney's part, just to kind of get everybody included as much as possible. Um, it is kind of, you know, I keep saying this too, it's like it's kind of what Disney does best. And it is what Disney does best, though, uh, over, you know, you go to a, like a Six Flags and not to dump on Six Flags over and over and over again, but there's like one or two things that they can do. Um, same thing for me, you know, a, a bigger guest, there's one or two things that, you know, I could do. Um, whereas with Disney, they kind of hit it. I would say 80% of, you know, all the rides are, you know, really accessible to anybody. And even somebody, um, like my dad, my dad's had three knee surgeries and he's always so, and he loves Disney too. And he's always like, Oh, you know, I don't want to go this. I don't want to go that. And it's just like, you know, they'll make sure they'll stop a ride, which happens all the time where you're on, you know, you know, pirates or, not pirates. Pirates is a terrible example. It never happens on pirates, um, except for when you're kind of waiting in the boats at the end. Uh, but um, you know, like uh, haunted mansion. Haunted mansion. Perfect. Thank you. Where it's like it'll just stop, and it's so you know they're loaded in a guest that might take a little longer. Um, you know, Jungle Cruise. They have the boats. Yeah. Uh, Every time I ride, it's a in. small world, guy. Yeah. Every time I ride, it's a small world that happens to me. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's amazing that they kind of make sure that everybody's taken care of and they do that, you know, you know, far and away better than any other theme park in the world. Yeah, that's for sure. One last note that we missed in the news. Uh, someone that I've I've pumped a lot of tires about after seeing Wakanda Forever was was Angela Bassett. Uh, in her performance, she actually did get nominated uh, for Best Supporting Actress in in a film as well for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which was well-deserved. I thought she was the emotional heart uh, 
uh, for the most part of that movie. And the loss that she suffers and her grieving is, is really central to, to Suri's story and to everyone else's story in the film. So fantastic. Tim, Guy, this was actually one of our most positive episodes. Clocked in at just over 90 minutes or so, but once we edit it down, maybe it'll be 88. Who knows? Um, that's our show for this week, though, boys. Um, Tim, are we coming back next week? Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back with some sort of uh, maybe holiday content for y'all. Oh, God, we promised we wouldn't, Tim. We're not <laughs> stooping to that level. All right, then. Then that is it for this week. If you like what you hear... Go back and listen to our um, nine things Disney could do better. Compare and contrast. Again, not an exhaustive list of things that they do, but things that we thought were important that they do right here today. Um, please, uh, if you have any questions or comments, reach out to us at DisneyGuysUncensored at gmail.com. Good night, everybody. Good night.